Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent. And in this week's episode, we have Natasha Sua. And we're going to be discussing the theme, A Life of Praise. We've been journeying now for a little while in the crucible with Christ. And that name itself is very important, in the crucible with Christ. Not apart from Christ, not alone, with Christ. We're going to be looking at a life of praise. And this sometimes is one of the great paradoxes of Christianity as to how can we sing and praise God amid suffering and death? How could the martyrs sing hymns while they were perishing amidst the flames? When we look through the course of Christian history, we read stories and hear accounts of people praising God in the crucible of suffering And it seemed humanly impossible for them to do that. But yet they were trusting in a God who empowered them and in a God who was with them to live that life of praise. And so today we're going to be discussing and giving comment to how we can praise God and actually that be a powerful spiritual weapon when we face difficult circumstances and in fact is a witness to others. Tash, take us to the core text that we're going to be giving comment to and launching from in our discussion today. We're going to be looking at one of the famous passages that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 4. So I'll be reading from Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7, and it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So, rejoicing. Paul is in a Roman prison. Kind of makes sense for us to give that context, because here Paul, he's not saying rejoice in the Lord always from a place of things are going well. Yeah, and everything being comfortable and everything. Yeah, right? he's he's in a jail. <laughs> he's in a jail. Yeah. It's cold. In actual fact, I've had the privilege in some travel I've done to be in a place where they suspect and believe that prison to be. And even in the middle of summertime, it was cold. It was wet. So just keep this in mind that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi as he was a prisoner in Rome. Probably he was about 60 or so years of age. And With this in mind, he's saying we can rejoice. And we can rejoice firstly because not only are we called to, but it's a means that when we do rejoice, we're actually not giving exaltation to the circumstance. We're giving exaltation to God. And I think that's a key, Tash, because it's so easy for us to exalt the circumstance, the difficulty, the trial, and we diminish God. God becomes minimal in this, right? And so that's one key reason of why we need to be rejoicing always, why we need to be having this attitude, this posture toward God. And also too, Paul tells us to rejoice always because it's a means of having, well, a better life. It's going to be a much more positive life for us. Paul is telling us to rejoice in the Lord and to make it a habit for our lives. Now, Tash, why was Paul able to praise God even under the most difficult circumstances? Well, Morgan, because Paul knew Jesus Christ was his savior and God who loved him and would never leave him. He understood the devil was seeking to destroy him and God's people. He knew he was in the spiritual battle and mm. that with Christ, he would always be victorious. 
So while his circumstances may have appeared unfair and unreasonable, especially from a human perspective, when he was doing God's work, he praised God because he knew that God loved him, would never leave him, had his best interests at heart, was in control, and one day he would be God for eternity. It's true. I want to read a passage, Tash, from Romans chapter 8, and it very much encapsulates what you just said there. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, and I want to read from verse 38. Paul says, For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us, note this, us, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knew from firsthand experience that the trials and the suffering that he went through wasn't an end in and of itself, but it was a means to the end. And the end being that Paul would be able to rejoice in the Lord always, that Paul would be able to see that what was happening to him and what was happening to the early believers in the church who were being persecuted, that God was allowing it. I don't want to say that God was doing it, but I want to say that God was allowing it so that God may be glorified and ultimately it would be for the good of the believers because it has this purifying effect. It has this influence of being able to purify and strip away and bring about a greater resolve and resilience to trust God, to believe God, no matter what. I find that in my own life. When I go through difficult times, it's like, okay, I've got either one of two things here. I can either just check out and say, no, I'm done with this. Or I can say, you know what? In actual fact, if I check out from this now, through the circumstance I'm going through, what else, who else do I actually turn to? But we can actually believe that God has those words of eternal life and God has a purpose and a plan in bringing all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Let's actually look at what the word rejoice means. I have an example here where Paul and Silas, they're in prison and it comes from Acts 16 verse 22 to 25 and it goes like this. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to him. So Paul and Silas were falsely accused and beaten and thrown into the worst part of the prison. Mm. But And at midnight, they're put into stocks. They were in pain. They were probably still bleeding. They probably had injuries, and they were sleep-deprived. And this was a serious persecution to be suffering. But there was no complaining of like, why me? What? Why is this happening? Or where are you, God? Or how could you allow this, God? But instead, they're praying together and they're singing praises to God at midnight. And the fact that they sang despite their terrible situation indicates that praising God was their habit, was something that they did often. Their singing was not quiet and to themselves. It was loud and confident because verse 25 says the other prisoners all heard it. And so... Something comes out of this, like Paul and Silas singing praises to God in this gloomy dungeon actually does something else. And so God responds by working a miracle. The jailer who's, who was there knew under Roman law that he would have to pay with his own life if something was to happen or if any prisoners escaped. And he knew that if, there, if something was to happen to these prisoners that he would want to kill himself. And the rest of Acts 16 tells us the rest of the story. But what happens is the jailer knew that this was supernatural, that mm. the prison doors open and 
And we don't know the words to the songs that are being sung, but the words of the singing and this miracle convicted the jailer of a mighty God and his need for salvation, which is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the jailer then thought of the salvation of his family and all of them were baptized that night. Yeah. It like just, it just sounds like such a random thing, to, but it's amazing, isn't it? It's random. It's radical as well. We may know those people in our lives that we think, man, maybe they could just tone it down a little. Are you saying something? Walking? No, I'm not saying anything at all. I'm just saying, you know, like <laughs> I sing a lot. I can really be, loud. <laughs> I can be tempted to think that, like, man, like, I wish these people could just like just tone it down a little bit. Do they have to talk about God all the time, or do they have to do this all the time? And we may know people like that, but yet in this situation, as Paul and Silas are in a gloomy dungeon, right? They're not having this mindset of "woe is me." They're wanting to maximize what is a very bleak situation for the glory of God. They're making the most of any and every situation. And we may think, man, like maybe they should just turn it down. Like why are they singing? But yet it's so incredible because this is just the overflow of what is in their life. It's almost like they just cannot not rejoice in the Lord. And so for us, it's you specifically use the word habit, Tash, and they made it this habit. And I believe that to be true, that as Paul calls on us in scripture to rejoice in the Lord always. And as if we forget, or we don't quite catch the emphasis of it, he says, and again, I say rejoice. It's like, just in case you missed it, I need to make sure you're rejoicing. And we know this because Paul is writing from firsthand experience, but also how this can actually bring praise to God and honor and glorify him as well. I want to look at another example of how praising God amidst the suffering and praising God amidst the crucible can actually result in incredible feats of God's power and victory being seen. Because Tash, it's one thing for us to just talk about these stories in the Bible and think, oh, wow, that's amazing. And they are like 100% they're amazing. But even as I'm speaking right now, and maybe as we're having this conversation, as our listeners are listening in, you may think, yeah, but you don't quite know what I'm going through. Yeah, but you don't quite know, like, I'm finding it really hard to praise God with what's going on at the moment. In saying all of that, I'm like, cool, okay, like, I get that. I hear what you're saying. But at the same time, we really only have, I think, two options when we come to this. We either can just give up in despair or we can turn and we can praise God and say, God, thank you. Thank you for seeing something of value in me that you would want to allow me to go through this and thank you through the unction of your spirit that I can praise God, that I can rejoice in God. And I guess to think super practically, we're not just meaning singing, okay? It can also be just having that mindset as you go about your day, as you're driving in the car, as you're riding a bike, going for a walk, whatever it is, as you're walking from the car park to your office or getting dropped off at school or whatever it looks like, it's having that mindset of I'm focusing on God and not the circumstance as well. Jericho. Maybe we know the song Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And this is what we're going to look at because Jericho was one of these ancient cities, heavily fortified walls. And the spies some 40 years earlier had reported that this was the situation. Now, when we come to Joshua chapter two, we find that the Israelites, they knew that the conquest of Canaan was to start with perhaps the hardest test of all. That's significant in and of itself, Tash, that the conquest of Canaan, which God had promised them, wasn't to start with perhaps the easiest test, but perhaps the hardest test. 
which was to conquer and defeat Jericho. This city, and some of us may think, how big was the city? Like millions and millions? No, it would have been a relatively small city by our scale today. But nonetheless, it was an imposing, impregnable, walled city. And so to defeat Jericho, it wasn't humanly possible for them. It just wasn't. Yet God asks them to do something. Tash, can you just replay and retell what happened in the conquest and the victory that the children of Israel received there at Jericho? So Jericho was one of the heavily fortified walled cities that the spies 40 years earlier had actually reported. And the Israelites had been camped opposite Jericho for many weeks with the Jordan River between them. Now, the Israelites knew that the conquest of Canaan was to start with perhaps the hardest test of all, which was to the defeat of the impregnable walled Jericho. So these walls that were... So to, to defeat Jericho was humanly impossible for them. This must have been ever-present on their minds. Once they crossed the Jordan, they had to deal with this impossible task of Jericho. If they failed to take Jericho, this would devastate their faith. Plus, it would embolden the Canaanites against them. And this would be a huge test of faith. So they head over to Jericho. God parts the Jordan River for them to cross. And then a mighty miracle would happen, which was to strengthen their faith. Then they're told, can you remember how many days, Tash? They were to walk around. Come on, I'm testing you. I'm putting you on the spot. Seven days. <laughs> for six days. Oh, for six days. For six days, they were to walk around the city once and in silence a bit of a strange thing imagine this walled this fortified city and the children of israel literally walked around the city once a day for the six days and then on the seventh day they were to to march around the city seven times again in silence but the interesting thing is that on that last time they all shouted in unison with the priests who blew their trumpets and after all their silence and meditation just think about this you know God is leading. You know God. this is what God is wanting you to do. And now you're thinking, we're doing this in silence. What were the people inside of Jericho thinking? They're like, what are these people doing? Like They're just walking around in silence. It would have been a really been weird a situation, see, right? Would, like, yeah. I would have loved to have seen it. Then after all the silence and the meditation, this shout was a shout of victory. And it was a shout of praise and expression of their faith that God was going to bring down the walls. And it was only after they shouted, after they had exercised their faith, that the walls collapsed. Now, this is an interesting thought, Tash, because we could make the case that they only praised and rejoiced in God when they all shouted. But I would hazard a guess and make the suggestion that they were praising God for the six days when they walked around once and for the seventh day when they walked around the seven times. The thought is, I want to make, we can praise God and rejoice in God even in silence. I think we can. I fully think we can. Because it's one thing for us to, yeah, rejoice and sing and make joyful noises to the Lord. Absolutely. But there's something about living a life of praise even in silence. This almost unspoken, deep, intimate, interwoven connection that we would have with God. What do you think? You can agree, disagree. No, I do like the idea, but in that sometimes we don't have to say something, but like it's an inward focus, isn't it? Rather yeah. than, yeah, that our silence comes from inside. Comes from us. inside. Yeah. yeah. It's true. So for us, Tash, there's an incredible, many incredible lessons that we can learn from this. Take time out to silently reflect on, on where we are at with God. It may be sometimes that God allows us to, to take this time out when we're in a place of suffering as well. It's really important that we trust God, that we praise God 
And I want to read a psalm here. I want to read Psalm chapter 32, and I'm going to read from verse 11. Here's an incredible verse that the psalmist speaks of the importance of rejoicing. It says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Tash, we're going to deviate now and look at another example of how praise to God actually results in deliverance from the enemy. And to our listeners, I hope you're seeing this kind of repeating theme of how we can actually have deliverance from our enemies through living a life of praise, through living a life of rejoicing in the Lord. And we're going to look at an event that happened about 530 or so years after the conquest of Jericho. And it's in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament and for that case, the Bible, Jehoshaphat, he was the fourth king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat hears word that three opposing enemies, nations, are coming toward him. Now, the interesting thing is this, Tash, is that centuries before, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, a short time after, they had the opportunity to dispose of these three nations and, and armies, right? But God in essence says no. Now, fast track to the time of Jehoshaphat, these three armies are approaching him. And you, can, you could ask the question like, well, God, why couldn't we have disposed of them centuries before and now they're coming to us? Jehoshaphat, it would seem like, you're, if, imagine this, right? Imagine if here in Australia, like the three largest armies of the world make news and say, yeah, we're coming to attack Australia. Like humanly speaking, I guarantee you the vast majority of people living in Australia would freak out. Yeah. Like fully freak out. Flee. <laughs> like flee. Imagine that. Imagine like America and like France and Russia. Imagine these massive armies coming. Just imagine if it's North Korea, like Iran, like whoever it is, like they're just coming. You'd be freaking out. But what does Jehoshaphat do? In Second Chronicles 20, he says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So God tells them where the enemy is and what they are to do. God says he will take care of hmm. the things. And Jehoshaphat and the people do not have to do a thing. And so how do they respond? The first thing they did was to have an immediate praise service yeah, of well. public singing to God for his promise of deliverance. But just pause, Tash. Like, it's not as though they say, quick, get the, get the army, get all our troops, get everyone together. He's like, no, no, no. We're going to praise. And yet, to back it up a bit. Like, Could it do anything? Yeah, Jehoshaphat, <laughs> Jehoshaphat seeks to, he seeks God. He declares a fast. He gathers the people together. He seeks them to come united and seek God. He goes into the temple. He prays. And he's, look, we are going to focus our attention on God. Praise him. It's incredible. Think of the faith they displayed, King Jehoshaphat especially, being the leader. And I guess it shows the importance of, of leadership in this. 
imagine if Jehoshaphat just freaked out, displayed unbelief. I dare say that would have carried and filtered down and throughout the whole nation. So it's really important for us that as we go through different situations that we actually set about encouraging and leading people into a life of praise as well. Yeah, just a little caveat and side thought. With that in mind, when it comes to the crux of the situation, there's something that Jehoshaphat does. God's answer to their prayer was immediate. God tells them what to do. And as you said, Tash, they didn't do anything. But there's a really, really beautiful thing in this. And some of us may find ourselves now or at a time in our past or in, in our future where we just have no idea what to do. We just have no idea what to do. We're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like the situation isn't getting better. It's, yeah, may well be getting worse, but it's just, it just seems like it's, there's no resolution coming to it. And Jehoshaphat says in there, and I love it so well, he says, God, even though we do not know what to do, he says, our eyes are upon you. And for us, yeah, there may well be situations in life that, that we are going through where we think, I just don't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat says, but we will keep our eyes on you, but our eyes are upon you, God. And again, it's the importance of not magnifying the situation, not exalt it, the circumstance we are in, but rather glorifying, magnifying, praising God through this. It doesn't come naturally, but I really believe that with God's help and knowing his presence, knowing his nearness to us, as God was with the children of Israel, as they went there and conquered Jericho, and as God was here again with Jehoshaphat and the people. Really incredible thing. Let's go to the great faith chapter of the Bible, to Hebrews chapter 11. And we have this really special definition, yeah, definition, explanation of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Tash, can you just read that for us? And as we bring things to a close, the importance of faith in, in all of this. So it says here in Hebrews 11, chapter 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So their actions showed they believed God would deliver them, even though they only had the words of the prophet speaking for God. And so it's when we look back at the story with Jehoshaphat, it was when the singers came out in front of the army and started to sing, when they were praising God, mm. even in the face of the enemy, when they were expecting their total faith in God's promise that God intervened. He caused the armies of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites to fight each other to the death. By the time Jehoshaphat and the people arrived, the enemy was destroyed. There's some really incredible lessons that we can learn from this. Praise affects our life. Praising God changes everything. And that's, I guess, the big point that I guess we want to land on and wrap up on today is that when we praise God, when we rejoice in God, it changes everything. In the Bible, it speaks of to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven. And you imagine going into the wardrobe or a place where, you know, you, you may keep your clothes like hanging up and you take off this garment of, of doom and gloom, like you, you take that off and instead you put on this garment of praise. Like it captures and envelops all of what we are, even though we're going through this difficulty and this pain. Like, no, 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 no. Like we're actually choosing to praise God because of this and in spite of this. So in all of this, well, we can actually rejoice amid the crucibles of suffering. They may well spring out of a realization that God is real. And we come to that realization that he is good. And this is what I love. We began this journey with week one of how God is the good shepherd. 
he's not just a shepherd, he's the good shepherd, this qualifying statement, this qualifying reality that God is a good shepherd and he created us and we belong to him and he deeply does love us. God has redeemed us from the power of sin and of Satan as well. And that we with God, through his help, through his power, we actually will live a victorious life in him. And so God is our source of praise. He's our creator, he's our savior, he's our king and our father, our judge and our friend. He's so much more. He's so much more to us than really we can ever think or imagine. But with this in mind, I think it's an incredible thought to wrap up on. Tash, thank you for being with us, joining us today with this discussion. We've looked at what it means to live a life of praise in spite of what we're going through. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.